Thank you. We turn today to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I've been so richly blessed by our, our Thursday night Bible study. As we've studied through the, the book of Judges, uh, I did not anticipate, didn't expect the, the great blessing that it has been to me for these men to uh, study and to present uh, the lessons from, from Judges, to proclaim God's word uh, to his glory and to our joy. Um, two weeks ago, our brother Anthony, Anthony Palacio, uh, give us the, uh, the, the lessons on the Judge Gideon, which I think is one of the, the more well-known judges uh, from, from that book. And I, I suspect, I hope you're familiar with what happened. God, of course, it, it is throughout the book of Judges, uh, we, we hear that Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Israel again did not remember uh, the Lord their God. And, and the Lord allowed uh, foreigners, aliens, other uh, armies and other uh, governments, other kings to come in and oppress the people. Uh, God's intention that in their oppression they might, uh, might once again turn to him. And so it was that the Midianites, had uh, God had allowed them to, to invade Israel and um, oppress the people. And, and then God came and called uh, Gideon. Um, and Anthony did a great job, a wonderful job, as I said, a blessing to, uh, to hear him teach on Thursday night. And as I thought about Gideon, as I kind of dwelled on it, because Gideon, Gideon told God right up front, it's kind of interesting, Gideon uh, really cries the blues about how small he is, how weak he is, how he has, uh, he's, but he's, he's willing to stand up to God, but he's not willing to stand up to the Midianites. I understand that. I mean, that, yeah. yeah. Um, but God tells Gideon in the end, remember he, he starts off with a big army, I think 10,000 10, soldiers, um, and God, God causes it to pare down to, uh, to, to just about a thousand, and then God says that's still too big an army, and so he, he gets it down, I think it was 300 in the end. And God says this is so when, when, when you have the victory, when you, when you beat, beat the Midianites and drive them out, it's going to be God, it's going to be me, God says, that gets the glory, and, and not, uh, not any of y'all. Well, that really, really kind of laid upon my heart, praise God, the Holy Spirit uh, impressing the word of the Lord on me. And as I dwelled on that relationship between the weakness of man and the power of God, I was led to this text in the book of 1 Corinthians. I found that the Apostle Paul, in my study, I found that the Apostle Paul was inspired to write to, to this church in Corinth, to these Christians in this good-sized city where he had preached the gospel. And now 
he was writing to them because they didn't have 1 Corinthians. They needed 1 Corinthians. They didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament Bible. And they needed a Bible. They needed a Bible that contained the gospel, God's word. They needed now to know how to put into effect the good news that Paul had preached to them and which they had believed. They needed to recognize, listen to this, they needed to recognize who they were and what God had done to get them there. It's good for us to be reminded of these relationships. For we too sometimes find ourselves forgetting to remember where we came from. To remember who we are and how we got here. The Christians in Corinth and the Christians in Statesboro need to consider their calling. We'll read from God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of Him, And because of Him, because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So we have a contrast here as the Apostle Paul was so often to write, inspired by the Spirit of God, to write these contrasts. And here we find a contrast between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Now we live in a world of worldly wisdom. We live in a world that says wisdom is found in how successful you are. Worldly wisdom would have us to understand that probably more than anything else, you need a lot of money to be a a financial success. 
to have a solid, secure, lasting, always going to be there income. Worldly wisdom, certainly in our society, begins with you got to have money. That's really how success is measured. But we know that there are those that perhaps don't have a, a lot of money. They're comfortable, but they achieve their wisdom. They are seen as having wisdom by their, their academic successes. Here in this college town with our big university right here, we are very much aware of those who are viewed to be very wise in this world by their academic accomplishments. And we may not be as intimately familiar with this, but we're also in a world where success, worldly wisdom is viewed through those who have ecclesiastical success. You know, Bill, I'm talking TV preachers here. But of course, there's, there's plenty of others who have the church name, the big names in religion, big names in church life. Those have big names in Baptist life. Some of them wish their names weren't so well known. But yeah, worldly wisdom says it's good to be big in church. Even those that are just a matter of being a big fish in a little pond will be glad to have that measure of worldly wisdom. Fame, of course. You got your movies. I, 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 there's so much in the world that Bill Eller just does not comprehend, does not understand. But it, it just absolutely amazes me that in our society, we go to movie stars, TV stars, for advice on political matters. Give me a break! Are you kidding? I said, I don't understand it. But you know what? There's even one worse. Care to guess what it is? We take social, political, personal, family, and that advice from football players. Back to the notes, this is. <laughs> Y'all do understand, don't you? That's worldly wisdom. Honest to goodness, it really is. That's the world in which we live. And that's, that's the world, thank God, that not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
where godly wisdom is nothing like that. Godly wisdom, as it has been made to known to us through God's word and in the presence of God's spirit and in his church, we understand that, that godly wisdom is, is, is about submission, about surrender, about humility, about trusting, trusting in the Lord our God. Trusting in his word, believing, fully embracing, embracing his love, his gospel, which leads us to peace and joy and love. And while I have no firsthand knowledge, I believe worldly wisdom leads to none of it. Consider your calling. The scriptures tell us for certain, is it Romans 8.30, I think, that we are assured that those whom God predestined, he also called. I mean, there it is. Those that have been predestined, those who have, that God has foreknown from the foundation of the world, those whom God has predestined that he, will call, that he will call, he will accomplish our salvation, he called, he came, and he called those that he has predestined into his salvation. In Christ, you have been and are being called by God. Be assured, know this, you did not call him. No matter what you may think about that day you walked the aisle, what you may think about when you came and shook the preacher's hand, or what you may think about when you prayed the sinner's prayer, you did not call God. He called you. You were dead in trespasses and sin. Now how often have you ever seen a dead body do anything but just lay there, inert, unable unless God moves, unless by God's power, unless by God's Holy Spirit you are given the life that you may respond to his call as he has convicted you of your sin, as he has convicted you of his just condemnation against your sin, your rebellion against a righteous and holy God that separates you from him for all of eternity. Only as you are made alive by the power of His Spirit, do you hear His calling? Can you acknowledge that you 
have fallen short of His glory. Only as He gives you life can you then accept that His justice, His sentence is just against you and your sin. Only as He gives you life can you apply His Word to living in Him. I used to have a cup of water. <coughs> Drinking spigot water this morning. Tastes like the bottled stuff. The gospel call is the word of Christ. His life, his death, Praise God, His resurrection and ascension. Acknowledging this is truth. Being convinced of a just and righteous God. Being convinced of His condemnation. Accepting, believing that Christ is sufficient for your salvation that His blood shed on Calvary's cross can truly lead to the forgiveness of your sin. And applying this truth to your life in repentance and faith. Consider your calling. And when you consider your calling you should consider from whence you have come. For this, this idea of calling has kind of a, a twofold, twofold intention, twofold meaning. It has the idea of, of, uh, of identity, of being called into Christ. But it also has the idea of the calling to, to, uh, to move from what you have been to what God is making you. And so as we consider our calling, we have to consider from whence we have come in our, our utter depravity. And at this point, I mean, you, you've already wasted all this time but if, if you are not in need of a Savior, if you do not acknowledge that your sin has separated you from a righteous and holy God, if you're not accepting that you need God's proffer of salvation, you may be excused. If you have everything that you need, if you're under no conviction, you may be dismissed. But if you have been called by God, if you have been called by God, you have been chosen. God has chosen you and called you for a marvelously wonderful gift. out of darkness into this marvelous light. 
you were not rich enough to buy it. You were not smart enough to scheme for it. You were not religious enough to earn it. You were not popular enough that God would have a desire. You were not beautiful enough or strong enough that would make God want to sacrifice His Son for you. You were very, truly, utterly lost without hope. Consider your calling. Two of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. But God. Amen. Hallelujah. You were utterly, verily, completely lost without hope. But God. God did not leave you in your hopeless state. You were called. You were called by God. Chosen by God. Even in your depravity even in your rebellious sinfulness, God called you. That's, that, that comes as close to incomprehensible as anything in this world. And so in considering your calling, recognize that that you were chosen in your helplessness. Like Gideon. If you haven't got the connection yet, let me lay it out for you. You were chosen in your weakness. You were chosen in your helplessness so that God is glorified by His work of saving grace in your and my life. Because of Him, you've been forgiven. Because of Him, you've been made rich. Because of Him, you have wisdom. Because of Him, you are loved. In Christ, the Bible tells us, in Christ, you have been saved. In Christ, you have received righteousness, it says. Now, while the ESV, a wonderful modern translation of the New Testament, while the ESV gives us that wonderful phrase in Romans 1.17 that says, the righteous shall live by faith, a good translation. But the old King James Version, boo! The old King James Version says, the just shall live by faith which is just a wonderfully accurate understanding of both righteousness and justification. 
When, when we use these two words back and forth, we really come to appreciate what God has accomplished in granting righteousness to those whom He has called. The righteousness of Christ. That is the righteousness that we have received. The righteousness of Christ who by his obedient, sinless life and death on the cross, he is accounted worthy or justified to enter into the presence of God the Father. And it is this righteousness, this is what makes those whom God calls likewise righteous and justified to stand in the presence of Almighty God, covered by the righteousness of the Son of God. So many, so many get this wrong. It is His righteousness. It is not your righteousness that leads to life eternal in the presence of God. And of course, I mean, we read down to the end, right? You already know this. But I'll just point it out now for one time. So if you have anything to brag about, what do you have to brag about? Amen. Christ, his righteousness. Christ and his justification. Christ. So the, in 2 Corinthians, God's word tells us, for our, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How wonderful. How wonderful it is that God calls us. And in my notes I have a parenthetical statement. It says, see description above. Us. Right? who weren't much to start with. Us, who didn't have a whole lot to brag about anyhow. It is the weak. It is those who have not the worldly wisdom. It is those who are not of noble birth. You get the idea that God has chosen and imparted the righteousness of his son to live with him. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification. 
not only have we received the righteousness of Christ, that we can live with Him in eternity, but we live in His presence here and now, today. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it tells us He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Today, those who have been called by God are revealing the glory of God. He has cleansed us from sin and is cleansing us from sin by the abiding, continuing work of God the Holy Spirit. Again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 and following, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's your Independence Day sermon. Like what you came for, you got it. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Once again, I encourage you to please notice the continuing reference throughout all that I read Notice that it is what God is doing. It is God's righteousness. It is God's Holy Spirit who is sanctifying those whom He has predestined and called into His salvation. (coughs) How wonderful it is. How wonderful it is that God not only calls us, See description above. And deems us worthy in his righteousness, in his justification, to live eternally with him. As wonderful as that is, but he gives us here and now the continuing, abiding presence of God the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to be Pollyanna about this, nor should you or anybody else. There is a struggle in sanctification. This letter that I'm reading this morning, 1 Corinthians, is proof of that. Obviously, God's messenger wrote with the intent that the readers would take to heart the instructions, the directions that he is giving. Remember I told you that Paul wrote this letter to the church, the Christians in Corinth, because they needed uh, 1 Corinthians. They needed a Bible. They needed the New Testament. God was providing it for them. God was providing it for them. 
sanctification is the work of God's word. Through his word and by his spirit, God is working in those whom he has called to expose the image of Christ for his glory. Hear, acknowledge, accept, apply, reveal God's glory. You have been sanctified. You have been changed. But you discover that you haven't changed a thing. It is God's Spirit through God's word that has changed you. I'm going to try a little illustration here. You know they always come up short. So I don't want to hear about it after the service. I'm going to try my best to help understand this idea. So let's say that you have a fever. Maybe you got COVID, I don't know. But you have a fever. You're hot. You're sweaty. Your body in its normal, natural state has generated enough heat in your body to bring you up to 98.6, right? And then the reaction to the virus that has invaded you, the, the virus that has come in, invaded you, raises your temperature to 101.7. Little over 3%, I think. You think to yourself, I'm sick. So you go to the doctor. The doctor diagnoses the problem and pres prescribes for you some pills, which you take. Your temperature drops. And you feel like a new man or woman. And you say, that's good medicine the doctor prescribed. You didn't do a thing but take the medicine that the doctor prescribed. Works for me. How wonderful it is that God not only calls us, see description above, and deems us worthy to live eternally with him, but teaches us by his word that we can live here and now in the abiding presence of his Holy Spirit. in Christ, by the wisdom of God, we have received righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So this idea of redemption 
is the idea of having been purchased. And as God has redeemed those whom he has called, we understand that we, have, we now belong to him. We are his. He loved you by calling you. He loved you by giving you his righteousness. He is loving you by his spirit and by his word. God loves you. I think that's a phrase you won't hear real often in a hard-nosed Reformed Baptist church. It doesn't seem to be one of the really important concepts. It doesn't change the reality. God loves you. And all that I just described is the demonstration of his love. God loves you. Those whom he has called, those whom he has imparted the righteousness of his son by his blood, those that he has granted the abiding presence of his Holy Spirit to sanctify them, those that he has purchased, those that he has redeemed by Calvary's cross, the Son of God sacrificing his very life. He loves you and he will never let you go. You have been called. You have been called because you have been bought and paid for. You belong to him. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. You are not your own. God's word, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And that price, Ephesians 1, 7, in him... We have redemption through his blood. Consider your calling. Consider the magnitude of the sacrifice. Consider, consider the magnitude of the price that God paid that he might call you into his salvation. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The sacrifice of God's own son was the price God paid to himself. Once again, so many errors. The price that God paid, the price that God paid to redeem you, he paid to himself. because it was God that you had offended. And it was God who had, to, who had to forgive you. It was God's wrath that must be propitiated. And it was the blood of his son it was the price that God paid to himself to redeem those whom he called to be his own. Having paid so, so great a price, listen y'all, those whom 
God has redeemed, having paid so great a price, those whom God has called, having paid so great a price, he keeps. He will never let you go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, God's word says, you were sealed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This sealing of the Holy Spirit is both an identifier and a means of security. Christians, if we are to accomplish what this text calls us to, that if, if you have anything to boast about, boast in the Lord. If you're going to boast in the Lord, you have to embrace this understanding, embrace this knowledge that as the Holy Spirit is the seal of God upon you, it is the representation of your identity as God's possession, that you belong to Him. It's an old custom. It still exists today. You wrote a letter, you folded up the piece of paper. On the fold, you would put a, a, a dollop of, of wax, and then you had a ring that had your signature on it, right? Your sign. And you drove that sign into that wet wax, and it left, it left a mark. And that's a seal. And that says, this is really mine. You can be certain. You have no doubt this is my letter. Not only that, whatever that seal is on is secure. Nobody's going to break into it. It is sealed. We use this idea when we lick the envelope. Oh, wish I hadn't said that. A... Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Listen to this. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, my Father, God the Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Can you doubt? Can you be unsure? Can you lack assurance that as God has called you, as God has paid such a great price that you would belong to him? Can you, can you ever think that almighty God would by some way, some means, somehow lose you? That's ridiculous. It lacks logic. Consider your calling. When God has called you, it is because He has redeemed you. You belong to Him, and it is by His almighty power that He maintains His hold on you. He has accomplished your salvation, and He will persevere. When you're in Christ, you don't persevere. God 
perseveres in you. So John wrote in 1 John 3, whenever our heart condemns us, boy, can we relate to this one? This verse sure speaks to me. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your heads. God's word tells us all of this. All this has been done by the wisdom of God. That ain't the world's wisdom. Don't be trying to figure it out according to what the world says, according to what the world's standards are, according to a, a measure of this world. This has all been done. The, the righteousness of God, the sanctification of His people, the redemption and the eternal security in the presence of His Holy Spirit and through His Word is the wisdom of God, not accomplished by chance, not by caprice, not by fate, but godly wisdom. Consider your calling. Not wise according to worldly standards. Not powerful. Not of noble birth. He chose what is foolish in the world. He chose what is weak in the world. He chose what is low and despised in the world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Thank you, Father. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, but the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Consider your calling that from which you are called and that to which you are called, and having considered your calling, rejoice. Rejoice that you have something quite wonderful to boast about. I'm going to ask Karen to come forward and lead us in a chorus of this little light of mine. Come on. Well, how, how's it go? Like a light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. Stick your finger up. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. Out on the playground of life. If you've got anything to brag about, brag about the Lord.